The Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another week, and the Eagles are coming off another disappointing loss as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 154. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with NFL film senior producer Greg Cosell to discuss what we saw from the Eagles on both sides of the ball against those Dallas Cowboys on Sunday Night Football. After rehashing that game, we'll look ahead to the upcoming matchup against the New Orleans Saints, which will be a fun game to break down over the course of the next few days. Next up, we'll transition to my scouting report where I'll go through my notes on Alvin Kamara and what I thought of him coming out of Tennessee back in 2017 and then how he's transitioned so far to the NFL. But before we get into that, let's not waste any more time. I caught up with Greg Cosell this week to discuss the Eagles, the loss against Dallas, and how much this team will match up with the New Orleans Saints on Sunday. Let's get to that chat right now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Pleased to be joined once again here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. This is Chalk Talk with Greg Cosell from NFL Films. Greg, welcome back to the NovaCare Complex here in South Philadelphia. Uh, I think I saw you 18 hours ago-ish, something, something like, like that. Something like that. It feels like six. Sometimes it feels like it was 36. <laughs> it's been a long day. Yes, it um, has. But... A lot to talk about here with this loss because, uh, you know, a lot of takeaways really on both sides of the football. I'd like to start on offense. Um, you know, and you and I, we, we broke down a few plays from the offense on the All-22 review uh, driven by AAA on PhiladelphiaEagles.com throughout the course of the game. I think when you look at this performance, it was just, it's like you said to wrap up that segment. It was a very slow start. You saw some flashes there at the end where they were able to kind of finish some drives and put some plays together, but... After watching the tape, what were some of your initial takeaways? Well, you know, my initial takeaways, I think, are, are maybe not so X and O based to start. I, I think I'd answer it this way. I think it's very hard to be consistent offensively when you're one-dimensional, no matter how good your quarterback is. And I think the quarterback is really, really good. No question. But I think it's just too hard in this league. You can do that in some games, depending on the nature of your opponent. Uh, and, and we've seen games where, you know, let's say a Tom Brady by choice, they'll throw the ball 45 times or 50 times, and that's meant to be a specific game plan for that specific opponent. But I think when you're playing a solid defense, and the Cowboys, the it's strength of their defense. team is their defense. It's yeah. a solid defense, particularly the front seven. I think that you need to have more balance in your offense. And balance is one of those terms people say, well, if you're running the ball and you're not running it well, then why do you run it? Which gets to the other point. You have to be able to run it well. And they show flashes of that. And, and here's something else I think about. I think about the RPO concept, which is you know, more and more teams are doing it. The problem with the RPO concept and I actually had a really good talk with a college coach last week who was, who was explaining this to me, and I hadn't really thought about it this way. 
which is why I like to talk to people who are smarter than I am, Fran, of course. is I learned something, is he said that teams can take away the option and make you throw it if they want to. So then what happens is you end up getting away from the run, and sometimes you just need to line up and run the ball. And, I, again, I'm not saying that's the issue, absolutely, sure. but we do know that the Eagles do run RPOs. And, you know, watching the tape, I sort of say to myself sometimes, let's just line up and run the ball. You know, line up in a base formation, base personnel, hand it off. They have a diverse run game. We haven't seen that as much this year. Last year we used to talk about that all the time, about how multiple the run game was with all their different run game concepts from all different looks. We haven't quite seen that, but we know it's in their playbook. So sometimes watching the tape, you know, it's almost like when you're watching a, a, a team you're passionate about and you're yelling at the TV. Sometimes I'm watching tape in my office and I'm like, you know, run the ball. Let's line up and let's run the ball. I, I often wonder, you know, just over the course uh, of a weekly basis, honestly, watching the film and, uh, you know, just kind of reflecting on what we've seen over the course of the last few weeks, especially we're talking about the run game because – Look, Doug Peterson knows – you know this. I'm just, right. you know, Doug Peterson knows the value of the run game. He has said it numerous times, whether it's on you know, the Eagles game plan or in press conferences, one-on-ones with Dave Spadaro in the studio. He knows the value of right. the run game. A former quarterback, he, know, he knows how important it is to be able to run the football. The big difference, you look at last year, you know, last year at this time, the Eagles had Jay Ajayi, you had LeGarrette Blunt, Blunt, you had Corey Clement as your third back. Right. Right now, you have a banged-up Corey Clement. You have Darren Sproles, who you know we haven't seen since week one. Maybe finished. Yeah, And you've got— They started Josh Adams the other night. Yeah, He's jo- a free agent. No question. You have Josh and, and, Adams and you have Wendell And Sproles. more often than not, taking nothing away from Josh Adams, but people are free agents for a reason. Yeah. So more. Po- I hope Josh Adams plays great and more power to him. He's a local kid. You'd like to see him succeed. No question. But at the end of the day, the talent is not quite as strong. But sometimes I think that's a cop-out, too, because I don't think you need a great back to run the ball with some consistency. Now, no one is suggesting that Corey Clement needs to rush 20 times for 150 yards on a weekly basis. That's not the point. But I just think for an offense, for this particular offense, because, again, now we're getting into the particular skill sets of of the skill players. For this particular offense— I think they need to have balance because Alshon Jeffrey is a good player, but he's a certain kind of receiver. He's not going to lift the top off the defense. Right. Zach Ertz is a terrific tight end. Top probably top two, three in the league. Yep. Okay, you know, you have Kelsey. Yes. You have Gronk when he's healthy. Yep. Kelsey's right there. You know, I mean um Ertz is right Ertz there. Is right sure. there. You know, maybe next. I would agree with you. Yes. You know, he's he, but again, he's a player who works the middle of the field. He's not a vertical guy. You know, he's terrific in the 8 to 15-yard area. Wouldn't you say that's fair? Yeah, no question. That's what he is. He's great at it, but that's what he is. So given that that's what their talent level is at the skill positions, they need to be able to have far more balance to their offense because they can't just line up and toss the ball around. Yeah, and I think that, you know, we've talked about this offense, and, you know, they've just, for a lot of different reasons this year, they've really struggled to finish drives. They've struggled to keep drives alive. You know, third down has not been as good as it was a year ago. 
And when you struggle to score points, which they have for most of the year, they've only eclipsed yep. 24 points once all season. When you struggle to score points, you don't want it to get into too much of a track meet because you're not, no. you're not a high-volume no. scoring team. Right. So you want to be able to slow the game down. And so the inability, That's a great point, the inability right. to run the ball – I think has really kind of hurt. It's it's certainly hurt them, uh, but it's 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 tough, man. Because I, I definitely see, I see both sides of it. From you know, it's it would be easy for us. I'm not saying you're saying this. It'd be easy for us to sit here and pound the table and say, yeah, they they need to run the ball more. Uh, that's the that's the number one issue right now. I think that there's obviously there's two sides to it. It's it's something that they're they're going to have to get figured out here in the last I seven agree. games. I agree. Yeah, they're going to look as as I said a moment ago, they're not going to start putting up 200 yards rushing unless somebody breaks a 70 yard run. Right. Um, That's not what we're saying. But I think the point you made is a really, really good one about the fact that running the ball also does shorten the game a little bit. This is a different offense from a year ago. They're not an offense that's I mean, last year when Carson Wentz got hurt was a week 13. Right. Week 13 against yep, the Rams. So, yep. They were averaging over 30 points a game. And and we pretty much came to expect every week that they were putting up 30. Yeah. If they hit, if they only got 27, it seemed like a really bad game. Yeah, and sure. now they, they've only scored, as you said, more than 24 one time, and that was against the Giants. Yep. So, you know, this is not – as we speak today, this is not an explosive offense. They're not playing to the level that they were a year ago. Correct. For, for a wide Myriad variety reasons. of reasons. Right. So I, I think that uh, you know just from, from the run game standpoint, certainly something that will be look they they worked back in this week the the different whams and traps right. we hadn't seen them for a few weeks. The uh, the Adams long run was a wham. It was well blocked. Well, yeah, was there. Yep. You kept him squ- shoulder square right. the line of scrimmage. Yep. You got him downhill. He wasn't touched for the first sixteen yards. No, no, great. you're right. Um, you know, and so look as they continue to get Corey Clement back in healthy. Obviously, they were you know disappointed that Smallwood kind of re-aggravated that injury or re-hurt the, the his uh, his hamstring last week before the uh, before the game. They would have loved to have him back in the lineup. I think they'd feel a little bit more comfortable with him there as well um, as Clement continues to work his way back. You know, hopefully they're able to get a little bit more going uh, on the ground. Uh, what did you think overall for for Carson in this game? I thought that. There were some stretches where he was just not quite as sharp as he'd been in, in recent games. Um, I thought there were one or two throws that he left on the field. There was one sack he took where he had a throw. You, do you remember it? Um, uh, yes. The, I think it was the first – it was in the first half, I believe. Yes, it was the uh, – Where he ended up – it, it only ended up being maybe a one- or two-yard sack, but he had a throw. He had an inbreaker that was open. He also had a couple sacks in this game where I was glad he took the sack. I, I would agree with that. Yeah, there I were a couple where I think a few weeks ago he may have tried to throw the ball and may have turned into a fumble or you know or something like that. And then, and then there's things that, just from watching the tape, I don't feel I know, even when we saw it last night, like the mis connection with the Jeffrey that should have been a touchdown you know I don't know technically who's at fault there is it a bad throw should Jeffrey have kept going instead of sort of seemingly starting to throttle down see it was tough because we're watching and I watched it back a bunch of times so did I and you know they they send Alshon in motion and you know one of the big reasons why you do motions you get some kind of pre-snap indicator of man or zone initially they bumped Leighton Vander Esch out over Alshon and you thought, okay, zone coverage. And then they quickly switched. Jalen Smith kind of switched things up. He sent Anthony Brown over to cover Alshon. Layton came back in just before the snap. 
when the ball snapped, Alshon is seeing zone coverage, and he was correct. It was a zone coverage, but you're right. Carson threw it out ahead as if right. it was man. We don't. We, <laughs> we, don't, we just. Yeah. We don't know. But those None are the things know. that, and again, in in games like that, and and I think they did not get a touchdown on that drive. It was a field goal. It was no, a that field was third, goal. That was third down. Correct. Yeah, that was so it's it's little things like that. Last year, it seemed that in the red zone that the precision was there every single time. So you miss a throw like that where your receiver is wide open. And I'm not blaming anybody because, as I said, I don't know. Yeah. But those are the the little things that that really kill you. They ch- I mean, it's it's we talked about they're struggling to score points. Right. That's of four. That's a four point swing. Exactly. And it's not just like if that were in a vacuum, that'd be one thing. But each and every week that you can point to, and it's not the same mistake. Right. It's not the same guy every time. We there was a play uh, last uh, the last game against Jacksonville where you know Carson Wentz expected Nelson Aguilar to run down the seam. He instead took it over right. the top, and instead of throwing him down, instead of uh, you know helping out and uncovering for for Carson. He was covered up, and so it was an incomplete pass against a cover zero look, and and that was that. They had to they had to kick a and, field. And the reality is, and we're just being honest, which you know I think that's the only way to be. The tape's it, honest, right? The tape's honest. Is they don't have really big play weapons. So can they scheme a big play here and there, like the Aguilar fifty one yarder, which they've been setting up all throughout the game when they saw how the Cowboys were playing. Yep. But that's a schemed play, and it worked. But it's hard to – you're not going to scheme up 50-yard plays 10 times a game. They don't – the talent is not going to create those plays. They have to scheme that. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're an offense, I think, where, you know, you've got the weapons there to create those chunk plays, those, you know, 18 to 27-yard right, completions. Right. And I, I would venture to guess that last year they were one of the leaders in completions from that uh, for that distance. I would have mentioned even this year that they're probably up there – you know they're not top five or anything, right. but I would imagine that they're in the top half of the league in completions in that area of the field because, you know, Alshon, Ertz, Dallas right. Goddard, Nelson, like those guys can all work in that area, and they're very good. Doug is very good at setting up and creating those kinds of situations. Um, you know, they worked a couple of those in last night. It's just been it's it's been tough. It's been difficult because a lot of these drives, they get going and they look like themselves, right? And then it's they get it's like been, a two or three play awkward. sequence. It's been, get, it's been hard, yeah. Big. Yeah. But hard to get a handle on what is specifically the problem, other than the fact that their run game clearly is not what it was a year ago. Yeah, I mean that's that's certainly one of the big issues, yeah. uh, you know. And then the the offensive line, I thought was you know the I thought Big V kind of handled they, it pretty they well. Hung in there. Yeah, they I hung thought in they hung there. in there. Yeah. It was because that's a good defensive line. That was <laughs> that the was big not, thing. That did not derail their offense. Yeah, that was my my biggest concern going into the game was. Their defensive line against our offensive right. line, especially if Lane was going to be out, whether Lane was 100% healthy uh, or if, if Big V was in there, uh, going up against Demarcus Lawrence, obviously one of the better defensive ends on the schedule. Uh, that was the one concern for me. I thought the offensive line held up uh, I would relatively agree with well. That. Uh, all right, let's get to the uh, to the defensive side, where it's almost the opposite. You know, the defense they do, they do a solid job of keeping them you know, out of the end zone for a large majority of the uh, of the the night. Um, then the end of the game again, you kind of see what we've seen the last few weeks, where fourth quarter comes and it's you know touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. Yeah, and again, you know, obviously they had to play some people that they wouldn't yeah, have I mean, anticipated playing. No they had to play uh, Sullivan at corner, and even even Trey Sullivan, the safety, he played an awful lot of snaps. Yeah, and again, you have to start going down into your depth when you have injuries. No one feels sorry for you. It's the NFL. Uh, 
but that's the way it goes. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you end up with players that you ideally do not want to have to put out there. Uh, but this, I'm struggling to figure out these fourth quarters, Fran. I, I really am because they play well. If you look at their overall numbers league-wide, they're pretty good. You have them in front of you. I've got them right in front of me. I mean, I'm just like just going up and down the sheet. You know, seventh in yards per game against the run, uh, passing. They're middle of the pack. They're not. You know, they're first in touchdown percentage in passing. I know uh, the NFL matchup Twitter account today just put out. You know, first downs allowed by the pass. They're third in the league. Right, right. The numbers are 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 good, good. but it seems that there's second half and fourth quarter drives in which they give up touchdowns, and while it might not impact. I mean, you look at you go back to the Carolina game for three quarters. The numbers were unbelievable. Yeah, and then I think Cam Newton throws for over two hundred yards in the fourth quarter. You look at last Jacksonville, night, Jacksonville, Jacksonville as yeah. well. Yeah. And you look then at at Sunday night against Dallas. They pretty much march down the field, and uh, you know, so it's it's again. I, I'm just like I'm struggling with the offense at times. I'm struggling with the defense at times. What did you think of the uh, the run defense overall? Obviously, it was probably their worst yes. outing in the in the last three years. Um, a lot of issues in terms of whether it was finishing tackles or yes. just fitting the run. What were some of the takeaways there? Yeah, I thought that they did not do a good job on the backside a number of times. Yeah, I thought that was a problem. Yeah. You know, that's gap integrity. So, t- t- take us through what that looks like for, uh, from you know for those that you know maybe don't right. get to see that. Well, uh, every run has a a path. You know, by design. Yep. When, when you call a run and it's it's supposed to be blocked a certain way, the back starts. Certainly his first two, sometimes three steps are on that path based on the design of the run. Then, obviously, the back reads whatever he sees and God takes over. You know, if he sees, right. you know, a place to go that's not at the direct point of attack, he's going there. So, But what happens when you face a gr- any back, but a great back in particular like Ezekiel Elliott, is you always have to be aware that he could cut it back, cut it back away from the designated point of attack. And you, your backside defenders, the players who are responsible for that, can't be heroes. They can't run hard to the point of attack and give up what is their designated gap in the run defensive scheme. And I thought that happened a few times. Yeah. And with, with Zeke who I personally think is the best runner in the league. I agree with you 100%. People, people can debate whether he's the best back in the league. I think he's the best runner in the league. You know, and see what happens there too is you end up with arm tackles and he's going to run through arm tackles. You know, one good example of that was I think it was a it was not was it a zone it wasn't a zone read I don't believe but they, it was a closed formation and Rasul Douglas was there and t- your, the defensive coach is going to say that's your play. Yep. You remember the run I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, trying to. There were, there were a couple. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but it was a closed formation, which okay. is why Rasul Douglas was a primary run support player. Yeah, so he was over the tight end. He was the, yeah, he was the C yeah, gap yeah, player. Brandon yeah, Graham yeah. was playing outside the D yeah, gap. Yes, yes, I do yes. remember the play. And, yep. you know, if you're the Eagles' defensive staff, that's your play. you got to make no question. it. question. But it's also Zeke Elliott. Yep. You're not going to tackle him with an arm tackle. Yeah. Uh, it's. It was a consistent issue, um, you know, on a couple. Of, and, look, there were a couple where Dallas dialed up a couple of really nice, you know, the speed option call on third down yep. uh, was, a, was a good play call. And, you know, they burned them there for a nice gain. Uh, just it was tough. It, it was tough going back and even watching and just trying to, you know, look, Monday mornings, especially after a loss, I'm trying to find, okay, how do I, how do I answer the questions that the fans have right. for what happened on right. Sunday? 
You know, like I, I, when I go to do my my recap, I'm not trying to do any spin. I'm not trying. I'm trying to answer the questions that fans have. And so watching, sometimes it's just tough to set the point. It's like right. you said, like to put your finger on no. what's going on. You almost just have to show it and say, like, right. here it is. Like, right. here's, here's what happened on this drive. Right. And there's sometimes it's it's going to be one mistake here, one mistake there. And people don't like to hear that because they want they You know, want and sometimes a, a, guys a get culprit. beat. I mean, I know it was a fourth-quarter drive where, where Amari Cooper, <clears throat> Douglas got beat a couple times in the fourth quarter. On You know, Cooper beat him once. He ran a great route, that out route. You probably remember that. Yes. And then he got beat again by, by Hearns on the quick slant. Yes. You know, I mean, sometimes guys get beat. Yeah, uh, and that certainly was something that happened uh, more often than I think the, right. the Eagles coaches would have liked uh, on Sunday night. So let's get to uh, this Sunday because, you know, and kind of brighten the mood a little bit because I know you and I like breaking down the X's and O's. This uh, was, this uh, was uh, tough, are we brightening the game. mood by dealing with the Saints uh, yeah, who won eight But at least we straight? can talk about the matchup. Right. You know, we can talk <laughs> some X's and O's here. So uh, a fun team to break down and a fun oh, game, yeah. team to try and you know see, like, all right, how are the Eagles going to try and match up? What are they going to try and do schematically? Uh, let's talk about the Saints offense because I, really just a, a fun group to break down. Uh, very, very talented at, at all the skill positions. They've got lots of layers to the offense, lots of different things that they do. Yeah. It starts with Drew Brees, who is just yeah, he's pretty good. He's I think he's got a you shot know he's to completing be a over seventy seven percent of his passes right now. Ridiculous. I mean, the ball just comes out so quickly and in rhythm. Oh. Like he doesn't hold. He doesn't mess around. He doesn't like hold on to the ball. No. He's, it's the opposite of the, some of the quarterbacks <laughs> yeah. the Eagles have seen in recent yeah. weeks. The ball comes out in rhythm. He knows where he's going. If the first thing's not there, he knows exactly what the answer is after that. And pinpoint accuracy and touch. I mean, he's. He's playing at a very, very high level. Oh, Mike, and, and given that he's 40 years old or, or, you know, right around there. But, you know, it's an offense. When you talk to defensive coaches around the league, they'll tell you that the offense sort of begins with personnel, multiple personnel packages. Yep. On on, on their opening drives, they could have nine or ten different personnel packages. They run more personnel packages than I would think yeah. anybody, yeah. right? Like, tell me if I'm wrong. Um because of yeah. the, the only reason I say that is because of Taysom Hill. We'll get to that yeah, a little bit. Yeah. But when you factor in a guy like Taysom Hill, I mean, it just throws everything out the window. And board. what is he? Right. Right. Um, but it's personnel, then it's formations, and then, and you cannot discount this, is, is tempo. Yeah. Drew Brees is outstanding. He'll get up to the line of scrimmage. You don't know if he's going to snap it right away. You don't know if he's going to stop, investigate the defense. You don't know. But it, it's a real challenge. And then you get to people. So... The people are pretty good too. Yeah, the X's and O's are good, and the the Jimmy's Jimmy and, and the, the Joes, Joes are, are pretty, pretty good. good. Yeah. So the guy, the other guy, I would say that really makes this thing go is Alvin Kamara. Not Zach uh, Line. Not Zach. Look, Zach Line's a good. He's, he's a actually player. a really yeah, good he's a fun player. player. <laughs> but uh, Kamara, you know, he's just so versatile. He's explosive. Oh. He's super twitchy. Uh, matchup nightmare in space. He, you know, he's so strong, too, yeah, his lower I mean, body. And that was something that I remember watching him as a sophomore at Tennessee, his first year there. And that was like a concern I had. And then I remember watching him as a junior and thinking, man, like this kid is like his his contact balance improved in my eye from the games that I saw so much from 2015 to 2016. And that is carried through. I mean, he's and he he's, he's tough, so man. smooth and fluid. Like he he gets to top speed very very quickly. Did you happen to watch in your preparation for this? He had that forty nine yard touchdown run against the Giants that closed yes. out the game. Yeah. Yep, the zone run where he just blew. No, it's actually a, a was gap it, scheme. Was it a gap, it was gap scheme? scheme? Yeah. Did they, was it was a pin pull. I remember. I remember. No, it was, it was a regular right, gap scheme okay, run. Okay. Okay. But 
when he got past the second level of the defense, it looked like he yeah. wasn't even exerting any energy. Very easy mover, like I know. Say. Yeah. But he, what makes him so special is he's a satellite back, and by that we mean that he can line up anywhere in the formation. Yep. He can detach. He can be split. He's a terrific receiver. He's a matchup nightmare as a receiver. Teams have started to put safeties on him and not linebackers because linebackers can't defend him. No. Not if you're playing man coverage. So he's – and he plays meaningful snaps with Mark Ingram. So now you've got both guys on the field at the same time, and it's that, that's a real difficult challenge. And Ingram is a very violent runner, competitive downhill. Oh, he's a good downhill. back. I mean, he's – so you have those two guys that are on the field at the same time, and Ingram will catch the ball out of the backfield as well. Oh, he's, he's a very good receiver. It's it's a very he good the tandem. wheel route, I believe, on the first series this week. Was it the first series? Uh, Maybe uh, not the first series, yeah, but the it first was early second, in the game. Early on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you mentioned they, they play them both together. Yep. Uh, and the way that they use Kamara, I mean, it, it's really interesting because you, know, you talk about receiver distribution and location and you know how they're able to mess with defenses with him and Michael Thomas, the wide receiver. Well, they normally line Kamara up to the boundary. Yeah. Okay, whether he's offset in the backfield or whether he is detached. Why do you think that is? Not, there's n- numerous reasons well, why, but what are the primary reasons? To me, the primary reason is it, the way the NFL has evolved defensively is more teams than not will match up on the boundary side man-to-man, even in zone concepts. Right. You know, we talk about it. The it's, boundary, it's lock, the boundary so, yeah, lock concept. Sure. So now you're getting him locked man to man, and he's a tough. Good luck. Yeah, right. yeah, he's a tough matchup. Yep. So I mean, to me, uh, you may have another reason. That's a good, that's I, a good I think reason. that's to me the main reason, just based on tape study of the entire league. Yeah. You know, Ben, uh, ben Fennell and I were talking. He, had, you know, because one of the things that uh, one of his friends that he has learned a lot about the game from would really, when they would watch film with them, would say, you know. Formation of the boundary, formation of the boundary, right, right, formation of the right. boundary, and he would say like, "Well, what's the importance of that? You know, are you trying? You're trying to get lots of guys into short space." And, I, and my immediate response is, "No, like you're trying to get one guy in a lot of space, space. by himself right, on the right. opposite side. Like that to me is <laughs> right. the other big right. advantage right. of that." And so you know, you get uh, if you've got a guy like Kamara to the boundary, and now you're doing all the jet stuff going the opposite way. Now you're getting a, a guy going top speed out in space to the wide side of the field right. as well, right. which is also a benefit. No, so. He normally lines up to the boundary, yes. and the white, and he could line up there with Michael Thomas. It could be a tight end. It's multiple receivers who line up with him to the boundary, but that's what they predominantly do. And if you want to play man to the boundary, then it's a tough matchup. Got Kamara is a really tough matchup in the pass game. So let's talk about Taysom Hill, who is a, a quarterback from BYU, who I think was a starter there for at least 11 years, maybe 12 uh, he felt like he was there for forever, but now he's in the NFL and he's doing. I mean, he's returning kicks. Yeah, he's a. They say a, he's the fastest player on the roster. I mean, he's a, a ball carrier. They do a lot of the quarterback read stuff with him. Yeah. So you know they'll put him in the backfield on the field at the same time as Drew Brees. So they'll line up Drew Brees out right. wide. They've done things where he'll you know they'll run reverses yeah. and he throws it. They tried the jump pass down on the goal line this past week. It was incomplete. It could have been an easy touchdown. Uh, they line him up at receiver. He runs jet sweeps. I mean. You have to have answers for how to line up with this guy. Well, you have, the first thing you have to have an answer for is, is what personnel you want to have on the field when he yeah. is on the field. And then you get into that issue we spoke about, which is an offshoot of all their different formation looks because he lines up in a lot of different spots. Was it against Atlanta where he lined up, he lined up at quarterback, Drew Brees is out wide, 
And instead of it being like a zone read or any, any kind of read option, he just dropped back and he hit Mar- uh, Michael Thomas down the, yes, down the field yes, for a deep post. Yes, yes, Like, that's the other, <laughs> that pod, that's the other, <laughs> right, other aspect right, of right. it. Uh, you know, so just they have a lot of weapons that, and they find different ways to, you know, to be able to – because that's the other thing. You look at them schematically. They have a lot of – they'll put in, like, these designer plays on a weekly game plan. No specific question. Basis to yep. attack specific right. teams. So, you know, they – they find ways to beat you. But then they also run very basic stuff exceptionally well. They'll run just slant flat, and, and it's, it's beautifully executed. Yeah, and, you know, tight ends, they, they play uh, three of those guys, unless you count uh, Taysom Hill as a tight end, which you, you could, I guess. Um, ben Watson is the veteran, uh, constantly just finding ways to separate, even as, at his age. Oh, yeah, a very yeah. deceptive athlete. Uh, you know, Josh Hill, did you see the block he had on the split zone carry uh, this week on, I think it was – the Kansas State DN from uh, Jordan Willis. Yeah, on Jordan Willis, he came across the formation. Yes, 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 and yes, just yes, torqued yes. him to the ground. Yes. It was a ridiculous block. Josh Hill's a very good blocker, <coughs> yes. deceptive athlete as well. And then Dan Arnold, number eighty-five. You know, I'm filling out the depth chart in my notes. Like, He's not a bad player. I'm like, I'm like, oh, like who is Dan Arnold? And then we're watching film. I'm like, who is this eighty-five? And I'm like. Dan Arnold, yeah, like I wrote his name down last week. But I, who is this guy? I look him up, and he was a, a college a college wide receiver, small school. Yeah, that they've groomed into a tight end. And and, and, and a perfect example of what we were talking about is he caught about a twenty yard pass. Was it down yeah, inside no, the five corner. yard line? Yep. Deep corner where out. Kamara was on the same side. It was to the boundary, and it was basically a high low concept. It was almost uh, basically a flat seven combination. And that's what Kamara does because he holds down the coverage and then you get behind him because it was, I, I believe it was cover two yeah. to that side of the field. Yep. And you get it into that outside void and that's what they do. Yeah. Simple stuff, really well executed. Uh, lot, a lot of empty, a lot of motion, yep. a lot of jet sweeps. We talked about all the personnel yeah. groupings. You know, they're a chunk play offense. Uh, they work as uh, someone like to say from touchdown to check down uh, in terms of working down the field. Um, you know, and again, Breeze does not mess around with holding on to the football. We've done all this. We haven't mentioned their offensive line, who's which is playing really as one good. of the best offensive yeah. lines of football. Yeah. Yeah. So tell who stands out. Well, is Armstead is. I know he came out of this game. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I haven't heard what the update is on him. Yeah, it's Monday um, night. So. But it's a really good offensive line. Yeah, Armstead's a yeah. very good player. Uh, Andrews Pete, the, the left guard, is, <laughs> yeah. is a pretty powerful dude. Uh, Max Unger, who they got from Seattle a few years ago, is a good player. And then Ryan Ramchek, former first-round pick from Wisconsin, is a good player. Yeah, really solid. It's yeah. just a really good O-line. Yeah. And see, Breeze also makes your O-line better all the time. No question. Because the ball comes out. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's a tough task, man. For, it's a very for tough defense. task. You know, go on the road. You're playing down in the Superdome. Um, it'll it'll be nice and quiet down there, though. Yeah, I'm sure they'll yeah. take it easy. Yeah. It'll be a nice Sunday afternoon. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's going to be a big test. I'm interested to see how the Eagles will try and match up to Kamara. Uh, my guess is, you know, going back and just looking uh, how the Eagles try and match up to those similar kinds of sets. They've seen not just 21 personnel, but you know, 21 personnel with two backs on the field, not with just Atlanta. Back. Yeah, Atlanta uh, a little bit with Carolina, Tennessee ran a few snaps with Derrick Henry and and, uh, and Deion Lewis. Mostly nickel, some base, but mostly right. nickel. So that would be my assumption. You might see a lot of zone in this game. I think you're probably right, especially yeah. with the injuries in the secondary. Yeah, uh, we'll see. We'll see how you know. I'm I'm very interested to see uh, how they try to match up there. And then uh, look, these look if the Eagles are going to shut down this offense, they need the defensive line to win their matchups one on one up front. Like that to me is the is the going to be the key. It's it has to be the key. Well, to, the to game me, that becomes more important in the run game because. In first and second down, normal down and distance situations, Breeze is going to get the ball out. Yeah. I mean, you're not blitzing Breeze. No. So. You're wasting a player. Right. So 
you want to get that offense in third and nine where the dropbacks have to be a little deeper. Yeah. And maybe the D line gets there. But on first and 10, you know, and of course, we're He's not gonna, saying this is 100% that it's impossible to right. put pressure on yeah. him. Obviously, there are times that happens in every game. Yep. But probability wise, the ball comes out. Yeah. It's. Um, Look, it's that's going to be really what I, I agree with you. They're going to need to defend the run at a better rate than they did this past yes. week. Certainly, look to what they have been over the right. majority of the last three years. Uh, that's going to be a huge part in this game. Uh, let's go to the other side. The, this Saints defense. Um, I know you you feel pretty good. You know that it's a pretty good defense overall. I think it's better than the numbers because I think what you get with this defense is the fact that they play to their offense. Their offense scores a ton of points. Yep. They play the run well, but they give up some yards in the pass game. A lot of those yards are given up because they can be given up because the sure. Saints are ahead. The, uh, the Saints score, I'm sure, over 30 points a game. So you probably have that on your sheet I do there, have Fran. That somewhere, let's see here. So somewhere they probably they are first in touchdown efficiency. They're first in scoring efficiency. I amazingly don't have their points per game on here. My guess is it's over. 30. My guess is is that it's probably so. Good. I think teams that do that they end up giving up yards in the pass game. Yeah. And so I think it's a little deceptive to say that they are vulnerable to the pass. Now, I'm not saying you, 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 know, you can't attack them with the pass, but I don't think they're as bad as the numbers suggest. Who are the blue-chip players on defense in your mind? I think on their D-line, Sheldon Rankins and Definitely. Cam Jordan are very good players. Yeah, I think Rankins is really good. Yeah. Um, you know, I happen to very much like their nickel linebacking rotation. I don't think there's a star there, mm. but I think there's three really solid players in Demario Davis, A.J. Klein, and uh, they rotate in Alex Anzalone, a, a, a Pennsylvania kid yep. who was actually, I think, a running back in high school. He's actually very athletic. Yeah, I mean, his, he, his issue in college was he couldn't stay healthy. I know right. he had an injury last yeah, year, too, yeah, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, this, but it, a talented player. He made an outstanding interception against Jared Goff. Yeah, ridiculous. that was big time. Yes. So I, I mean, I like Demario Davis. To me, is just one of those really solid veteran players. You know, I think he's a good player. He'll green dog at times. I mean, they. I think it's a solid, uh, you know, rotation at at their nickel linebacker position. This is a team that's going for it because, yeah. uh, you know, and rightfully so, you know, you're kind of in the twilight here for Breeze. Uh, they traded a future first-round pick for this year's draft uh, to select Marcus Davenport. Right, this past and he'll spring. be back not this week, but he'll be back. What have you thought of him? Uh, he's not going to play in this game, but no, what have you thought of I, him so far? I've actually thought he's improved as the year's gone on, and what I've really liked about him is he's showing some of the things he showed in college, which tells me he'll be a good player. Because when a guy's game is built sort of on strength and he was a strong, strong player – you know, not a true bender. Of course, yep. Um, and then he comes in the league and can still use that strength against off NFL offensive tackles, then I believe he'll be a good player. Yeah, it's uh, he's had some really good flashes. Even going back, oh, yeah. I remember watching week one against Tampa. Yeah. Uh, he had some really good flashes in that game as well. Uh, Marshawn Lattimore, what were your thoughts overall year two from Lattimore? Yeah, it's interesting to me because it, as a rookie, they pretty much made no bones about the fact that he's our matchup corner. He's going to line up from and he's going to play man-to-man, yeah. -man, press man. And he was good at it last year. They don't quite do that with him this year. Now, I don't know the reason for that. I yeah. mean, that's that's a coaching philosophy decision. Uh, he's still a good corner. He doesn't necessarily match up, but he can. 
He could very well match up to Alshon Jeffrey this week, although my guess is he won't because Eli Apple is a big corner with a lot of skill on the other side. Yeah, and he's starting so, already. From, right, yep. right. He started from the moment he got there. So I don't think they'll feel that, hey, we have to put Marshawn Lattimore on, on Alshon. I think they'll feel very comfortable with Eli Apple on him as well. Yeah. The one guy in their secondary, and actually – I've never been the biggest uh, Von Bell fan, but they, you know, they. He's they usually had... the tight end matchup, which will be an interesting matchup. How do you in this feel game. about that matchup? Well, I think Zach Gertz is, yeah. is would win that matchup, yeah. whatever that means. Right. Well, yeah, <laughs> you know? that's valid. Uh, Marcus, so they drafted Marcus Williams in the second round last year. Everybody remembers, you know, the the big play right. in the Minnesota. And Miracle. I liked him more than you did. You did like him more than I did. Uh, he was a Tackling. starter from day one. He was a starter from day one, which doesn't always mean the uh, the, the greatest thing in the world. You're trying to justify <laughs> your. Uh, <laughs> he just takes it. He take my issue with him is you know and this is a pet peeve of mine for all safeties is you know taking bad angles to the football right and you know just being able to finish as a tackler. I think that's the one area where I know the run defense numbers are really good for this team, but. Uh, if you get up to the second and third level, they can give up chunk plays on the ground because he's right. not the best at coming down. Well, what's going to be interesting in this game is the the uh, Saints actually play with two two packages. Yes. So I was going to bring this up. Right. So if you if you if the Eagles line up with Goddard and Ertz, it'll be interesting to see if Kurt Coleman's in the game because he's been playing safety mm-hmm. with Marcus Williams mm-hmm. when they go against twelve personnel. Yep. How, what do you think of Coleman at this point in his career? He's a box player. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean that's they see him the same way. Yep. We don't. Yeah, we don't have used. to guess as to what he is. They're telling us. What do you think of PJ Williams? He's the nickel. You know, Patrick. They signed Patrick <coughs> Robinson yeah, in the offseason. Yeah. And he went on IR, so PJ Williams is now the slot corner. I think he had a, a tough go early, and I think he's improved over the last number of weeks. Yeah. It's I remember when he came to Florida State. Florida right? State, sure. Pretty talented guy. A big kid. You don't see him as sort of a prototypical slot corner because of his size. Right. Yep. But I think he's he's improved over the last number of weeks. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting. It, it's look. The, I would imagine that the Eagles don't want this to become a, a track meet kind of game. But it's not going to be a thirteen ten game. It's not going to be seventeen to six. No, or, no, you know, no. Seventeen eleven. No, it's not. Gonna I be think. Kind of I mean, barring anything that is unforeseen or, yeah. or you know you just can't predict, I would think that for the Eagles to win this game, they're going to have to put up thirty. Yeah. No, I I would agree with you. I would agree with you. We'll find out Sunday. That's uh, why they play them. Sunday afternoon, uh, we'll be here at the Novacare Complex. You can check us out uh, doing our film breakdowns throughout the course of the game on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. We churn those breakdowns out uh, throughout the course of the game. Hopefully, we'll have so a lot to churn out. Hopefully, we've got a lot to churn out. But uh, And then you can catch the full segment on Monday morning on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the mobile app. And then we'll be back next Monday night to break it all down once again here on Chalk Talk on the Eagle and the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. Greg, we'll see you Sunday. Thanks, Trent. Great stuff from Greg, and you can follow him just like I do on Twitter, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That is one way to support the show, but the other is to go into Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, give us a rating, or even leave us a comment. We've got a great question this week from Bach Guy, who went onto our op- Apple Podcast page and left a a five-star rating and a comment all the way from Japan, which is awesome, by the way, in its own right. Here's the question from Bakgai, who asks, Fran, it's quite often that Greg and you talk about leverage, 
I sort of understand it in the context of like a corner playing the inside leverage, for example. But when you talk about Zach Ertz being so great at attacking leverage, I'm not sure what that means exactly. I'm not. Sh- can you elaborate on that? Well, Bach guy, first of all, awesome question. This is exactly the kind of thing I hope to get each week, and you asked a great question. So, uh, first of all, when I talk about leverage, there are really two kinds that I refer to. First is the one in coverage, which is what you're asking about, and I'll clarify more on that in a sec. The second is at the point of attack, you know, that the low man wins, hands inside, not outside kind of leverage down in the trenches. So if we're talking about linemen using leverage, that's what we mean there. Pad level, uh, knee flexibility, hand usage, that all plays a part. Now, for the leverage that you're referring to, you're right. It's, it's speaking more towards the way a defender is looking to play a receiver. You know, a defender will use that leverage to do what's called playing to his help. You know, so for instance, inside leverage is when a defender lines up inside a receiver, forcing him to the outside. You know, so if a corner outside is playing with inside leverage, that means he's almost certainly playing man coverage. He's got no help inside, so he has to wall off the middle of the field and force the receiver to the only help he does have, which is the sideline. On the other side of the coin, you've got outside leverage, which is typically an indicator of zone coverage. And You've got help in the middle of the field. You're funneling that receiver inside to that help, so you're playing with outside leverage. Now, that's obviously not completely universal. Nothing in football is. Let's say you're a corner and you're playing uh, cover one robber defense with a safety playing in the middle of the field underneath. You're going to play that receiver lined up across from you uh, if he's lined up on the numbers with outside leverage because that robber is there to help you between the hash marks. Now, let, uh, again, let's say you're a safety lining up over the tight end in cover two. You may play with inside leverage, again, lining up inside the tight end on a quick route because you know you've got a corner playing outside in the flat in cover two. So there are examples of inside and outside leverage being used in both man and zone looks. That's where you get into alignments and personnel and you know all the different percentages and just understanding your opponent and things like that. But to get to your question, when we talk about a route runner like Zach Ertz knowing how to attack leverage, that can be shown in all kinds of different ways. And some coaches call this attacking the technique of a defender in man coverage. Let's say you're a receiver and there's a corner in off-man coverage. Okay, You can imagine it. He's in his pedal at the snap of the ball. You get right up on top of the corner. You explode. You step on his toes. You get him to flip his hips one way so that you can break the opposite direction. You're attacking leverage there. Let's say you're a tight end like Ertz. And there's a safety over you in the slot playing with outside leverage, forcing you inside to his help. Well, you may, as the tight end, throw a little bit of a head fake at the top of the route, acting like you're going to break outside. That gets the defender to kind of stutter his feet or even break down or close his hips up. That is attacking leverage. You're showing an understanding of how the defender is trying to play you. And you're using that to your advantage to create separation. You see receivers getting defenders completely turned around. That's attacking leverage. Zach Ertz, certainly one of the best in the league, really at any position, by the way, doing it. And I would argue is probably the best tight end in the league right now in that area of creating his own separation. So uh, great question there from Bach Guy and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All right, let's keep the show going. Earlier I told you we would dive into Saints running back Alvin Kamara and my notes on him coming out of Tennessee a couple of springs ago. He's the subject this week in our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. 
All right, so Alvin Kamara, 5'10 and a quarter, 214 pounds. And this kid had a pretty interesting path to NFL stardom. You know, he was a hot stuff recruit coming out of high school. He was a five-star recruit, number two all-purpose back in the country, signed with Alabama, and he redshirted his first year there under Nick Saban. Now, he was reportedly suspended twice there as a true freshman in 2013, never saw the field, hence the red shirt. February of 2014, he was reportedly arrested and charged with multiple misdemeanors. They were all traffic violations, like you know, driving suspended license and things like that. So he left the Tide. He went to Hutchinson Community College, and that's the same junior college that produced former Tennessee star Cordaro Patterson. I'm sure that probably helped him get hooked up with the Vols during the recruiting process out of JUCO. So he arrives in Knoxville after starting one year at Hutchinson and he immediately stepped on campus and became a vocal leader for the Vols. I remember reading articles uh, at that time and Butch Jones could not stop singing his praises the moment he stepped on campus. He played in all 13 games his first year for Tennessee back in 2015 and he shared the backfield with Jalen Hurd who is coming out of this year's draft by the way. He's not playing running back anymore. He's not at Tennessee anymore. He's like a wide receiver at Baylor so uh, someone to keep an eye on. But uh, he was the kind of a he split carries and really Hurd was the starter. Kamara was the backup. So going into his junior season, there were a lot of high hopes for Kamara on the field. He was named a captain as an underclassman. Everything was pointing in the right direction. The 2016 season comes along. Hurd transfers midway through the year. So Kamara becomes the lead back and he fought through injury. He started seven of the 11 games that he played in, and he became known as one of the top backs in the country. So he declared for the 2017 NFL Draft. Now, I watched him on film both years, 2015 and 2016. Here's what I saw. I wrote that Kamara was a one-year starter for head coach Butch Jones in that shotgun spread offense, lined up in a mix of one and two back sets in Tennessee's multiple run game. He was flexed into the slot at times where he ran routes like a wide receiver, while they also did a lot of things to get him the ball quickly, such as jet sweeps and screen passes. It might sound familiar after hearing uh, Greg and I talk about how Kamara is used in New Orleans. He had above average or below average height, but really long wingspan, pretty big hands, and he filled out his frame pretty nicely. So physically, he looked the part. As a ball carrier, he could fit through small cracks and come out clean on the other side. He was a darter as a runner with the athletic ability to be a threat in space in the NFL. He boasted very good quickness, agility, leaping ability. He got from 0 to 60 in a hurry, and he had the speed to get to the corner in the perimeter run game and then to pull away from defenders in the open field. He was a guy who was a threat to score anytime he touched the football in college. He had the wiggle to make defenders miss in space and pick up extra yardage. He used the stiff arm pretty well. And I actually noted, I mentioned this earlier, that he ran a bit harder in 2016 than he did as a sophomore. He bounced off tacklers. He showed improved contact balance. He ran through arm tackles at a higher rate in his junior season. His speed also gave him a ton of value in the passing game where I wrote that he could be an asset downfield on wheel routes and other vertical concepts, but it was about more than that because he got great hands. He had developed into a great route runner. He was just a really easy catcher of the football that transitioned quickly from receiver to runner after the catch. Now, from a negative standpoint with Kamara, between the tackles, he did not display great vision as a runner. He did leave some plays on the field. In the few zone runs I saw uh, from him in Tennessee, he just liked to bounce it outside. He was mostly a complimentary player in college, you know. but he fumbled three times in 14 games. He lost two, so I thought he needed to do a better job of protecting the football in a limited role at Tennessee. He had never carried the ball more than 20 times in a game. So in terms of his value, I wondered, all right, well, 
if he never carried the ball 20 times in the game in college, is he going to be that guy in the NFL? I'm not sure that he can do that. Uh, he was not a power runner. He's not going to offer much between the tackles at the next level, even though he had that solid size, looked for contact at the third level instead of green grass. So just his vision out in space was a little bit worrisome. Uh, and he improved in pass pro, but still not the strength of his game. And it was something I wanted to see him really kind of improve on. So the final summary for him coming into that year, my biggest question for him going into his junior season were his vision inside and pass protection. With added reps, I felt like he could get a little bit better with both, but ultimately I questioned whether or not he would be an ideal feature back in the NFL. In the right offense, though, he was a dynamic playmaker as a movement piece and a matchup problem for defenses that he could be a dynamic weapon. Now, Kamara fell all the way to the third round, the 67th pick in the, 20, in the 2017 draft. I think there were other forces at play there. I don't know uh, if his personality rubbed people the wrong way, if people were scared off by you know some of the stuff that he had in his past, or if people were just unsure of how he would project. But that was clearly one of the steals of the draft. I think if you did a redraft, Kamara would be a top 15 pick easy. I don't think that would be a question. He'd probably go in the top 10. That being said, he went to a scheme that was perfect for him. You know, Like I said in my notes, not a guy that would be a feature back. He never carried the ball more than 20 times in college. And guess what? He's never done it in a game here in the NFL either. Now, he's been heavily, heavily used as a receiver. I know in the Atlanta win earlier this year in overtime, he had 16 carries, but he also had 15 catches, so 31 total touches on offense in that game. Typically, he's right around 20 to 25 touches when you factor in both uh, receiver or re- receptions and runs, but he's lightning in a bottle. I mean, Sean Payton uses him to the point where he's a threat no matter where he lines up on the field, a true satellite player. Had he gone elsewhere, though, would we be saying the same thing? You know, maybe. I, I think if he had ended up here in Philly or in Kansas City, you know, in New England, we probably still would be talking about him as one of the most dynamic backs in the league. But he really ended up in an outstanding situation. He's paired with Mark Ingram, who can be that downhill presence in the backfield, allow him to be that do-everything gadget guy who has moved all around and can kind of wreak havoc. What are the learning points in my evaluation of a guy like Kamara? Well, I think, honestly, that my notes on him have pretty much carried out. You know, his ball security has improved. He's only fumbled once in the league so far. He did lose the fumble. I'd say his vision and his ability to work between the tackles is about the same. I don't feel that I missed on that part of his game. He was my 23rd-ranked player in the class when it was all said and done. So I really, really liked him. I feel like I hit on my evaluation. Now, I did have Christian McCaffrey slightly ahead of him. Uh, Who knows how their careers would be different if they had switched teams. But I think we could say that Kamara is the superior player at this point. I also had Leonard Fournette ranked ahead of Kamara, but I don't really feel bad about that either because they're completely different kinds of players. Neither of them can do what the other does for their respective offenses when healthy. That being said, Kamara is a problem for defenses. He's the guy you have got to lock down if you're the Eagles in this game. I'm really intrigued to see how Jim Schwartz tries to match up with him up and down the field. It's definitely going to be interesting to watch. So uh, great stuff this week from Greg Cosell and all of you out there listening, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, and of course on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you. And again, one last time, please take a few seconds, go rate the show, leave a comment like Bachman, and don't be afraid to leave a question on there because I would love the ability to answer it here on the podcast. Love talking about attack leverage as a route runner really great stuff so all that being said i think that'll do it another show in the books here on the eagle eye in the sky podcast fueled by gatorade for everybody here at the novacare complex i'm fran duffy we will talk to you next week